What's up and welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. It's going to be a jam-packed episode. I've scrounged around my Instagram. I'm going to talk you through three posts. A strategy for Shiracha by Natalie Brinkman. How to improve your use of get to buy. I might be repeating some content here. I know that I like to go on a little bit of a tangent segue and rant when I talk about strategy frameworks, as well as what is causing tension with strategists right now. I'm going to give you an update about some of the stuff we're doing at Sweathead very quickly, very soon. And I'm also going to share some of the topical stuff that we've been sharing in a brand new Friday newsletter from Sweathead called FFS for Friday's sake. Lots to get through. I'm going to start off with the news. If you're a member of Sweathead, sweathead.com, we've just added a whole bunch of new video classes to the website with new thumbnails. So I think there's over 40, well, there's definitely over 40 videos because my fundamentals of strategy classes are up there as well. But if you've not logged in for a minute, go check them out at sweathead.com. Lots of stuff from all the events we've been doing, we've been doing uh, over the past year and a bit. WTF is the big event this week. It's on Thursday. WTF, the Effing Effectiveness Festival. Come check it out, 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. We've got nine wonderful speakers. We've created these beautiful videos that we'll share of them, and then they'll come and do a Q&A or run you through some exercises great place to bring a team strategy bosses i'm just saying if you want to kickstart or reinvigorate the team and or a conversation about marketing effectiveness on friday i threw this in maybe a little bit a little bit hungry greedy thirsty all of those things i, I i'm doing a it's i'm i'm changing years i'm changing years on friday know what I mean and so I love teaching and decided to spend part of the day where I'm changing years teaching in a class a master class from 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. New York time called find your strategy voice and I've been I was trying to come up with like a, a framework for it so a lot of the way I teach I focus on the frame of mind and then I'll throw in a framework I don't know how seriously I take frameworks. I mean, the way that I've named this particular framework for finding your strategy voice should give you an indication about how seriously I take them, which is they're useful until they're not. But I've, I've come up with this funny little acronym called ADEPT AF. But if you want the full fancy name of this system, are you ready for it? It's called the ADEPT AF System for Savage Self-Expression, AASSS. That's what it shortens to, ass. Uh, what we're going to look at there is obviously the ADEPT AF thing is an acronym and it leads to a framework of seven particular things involving who you're trying to, for whom, whom, not who, for whom you're writing. And I'm going to talk a little bit in this course about desperation. You know, because I've existed online, well, pretty much since I was a teenager, I do get asked questions about things like personal brand, which ugh, I have a little allergic reaction to that particular phrase, largely because the people I find talking about it, thinking about it, they're, they're looking for shortcuts and it always feels really, really shallow, really, really shallow and kind of icky, superficial. It's not everybody, but a lot of people in that space who teach it, who... Uh, fun, uh, interested in doing it I, I don't know you know I'm aware that I have a brand I have a funny accent for example a funny haircut funny face I use black and white I like a serif font and every now and then I'll use a yellow highlight behind certain words right so I know I have a particular style but I don't think about it that much I just settled into it because all my stuff before that was bouncing all over the place I didn't even add my little at Mark Pollard my name to my social post until I don't know three four years ago and I've been online publishing well that, that's really for, for instagram i've been on instagram for, yeah since it started well over a decade right uh so i didn't take myself that seriously and now i do have a little brand system but i don't wake up thinking about personal brand i wake up thinking about writing and, and i think to think about writing is to try to work out why you want to write and to think about that all the time so that you increasingly build a life around that if writing is the way that you want to express yourself so yeah Thursday we have WTF, Friday you've got my masterclass, all the details for that uh, on the website and the, the Friday masterclass will involve a lot of writing, a lot of writing, a framework and some psychology, that's what I do. I'm heading to Bulgaria in May, I'm talking at an event called DigiTalk, it's supposed to be pretty big and after that event I'm doing a masterclass for people in Bulgaria, three to four hours in Sofia. Details for that are also on the website. Ecuador, we're going to Guayaquil, Quito, and uh, Cuenca. 
all are supposed to be beautiful little cities or beautiful cities not necessarily little and that is happening in june i think there's a pretty good interest for that pepsi sponsoring it you know what let me let me read out these sponsors i have to open the website up as i uh, do this because i uh obviously didn't prepare and commit them to memory but yeah we have these, these events happening with a partner down there reinvention masterclasses and i'm going to tell you who who's sponsoring these events little old marky little old marky it's because of these amazing people i'm working with that we have these sponsors not me not me but ecuador we have yeah pepsi banco guayaquil extreme I think that's mobile and Aura. And we have a few other sponsors for Peru later in the year. So thank you for sponsoring. And if you're in that region or want to come down to that region, you should check out the details. It's first week of, first-ish, first and a bit week of, of June for Ecuador. What else is coming up? What else? Summer camp, we're about to launch the summer camp for Sweathead. If you're a member, an annual member, which is a subscription, you're going to get access to it. We've got several teachers coming together. It's going to be called the C Word Awakening. We're going to do four weeks looking at the four C's. And we've got all kinds of interesting people who run agencies and strategy teams and whatnot coming together. We're also going to do a little session on comms planning with Maria Van Buskirk, which will be a bit of a sampler for a masterclass that she's going to do later this year. She's head of comms planning at Media by Mother in New York. We've also got another masterclass coming up in May with Aisha Hakim, The Art of Deck Making. So there's a ton of stuff. There's a ton of stuff. I'm still pumping out those newsletters, usually Monday and Tuesday. I'm doing one that I've got to add the name to it, talk about branding called Strategy for Life, which is really about the strategist mindset. And then on Fridays, we're sending one called For Friday's Sake, which is a newsletter in which we, we try to grab some of the most interesting marketing and advertising links of the week, and then we make jokes about them. And uh, it's interesting. The first newsletter's open rate's usually around 50%, 47 to say 52%. That's the Monday and Tuesday one. The Friday one, we've only done three of those. I'm looking at the stats now. Open rate, 41.7, 42.6. So we lose a little bit of traction on the weekend. Uh, and... <laughs> Uh, the website and all the our tech world is so complex it's so stressful i lose hours of sleep and hair can you lose hair by hours i lose hours of hair and sleep uh because the website is a bit problematic and we're, we're trying to fix it in a really big way this month so we do have a lot of people using it we use it for the accelerator and all that all our, all our classes all our courses but it has been stressful. It's been getting attacked a lot this year. WordPress websites tend to get attacked. And by a lot, I mean like 10,000 plus a month, I believe. And so we're restructuring it and trying to make it faster so that it's a better user experience. And I do feel like, you know, we relaunched it a year and a half ago. I feel like we've been chasing our tails a little bit with it all. But uh, anyone who runs a website through which they run a business will understand that it can be, it can be distracting and painful. But uh, I'm also about to probably work, well, not probably, I'm going to work on two new Sweathead courses, video, self-directed. One will be about writing and the other will be about comms planning and trying to connect. Like the comms planning one I find really interesting because I've been around it and I've, I've done it in, in little bits. I'm not a media planner, but what I mostly look for is a connection from at least the theme in the strategy through to the theme and the creative idea and then the theme in a large selection of the channels that you appear in. There are a few different ways to do comms planning. There's more of a story-led way, like a three or four act story structure based on the idea. Another way is looking at barriers, so perhaps you have three phases of campaign which might or might not overlap and they each try to address a different barrier and then another way is i guess an alliterative way you know you, you choose words that begin with a and you organize all your ideas based on them you know like i don't know alert activate advocate something like that that's pretty common there's at least those three ways and i think they're different they're different ways of doing of doing comms planning so i'm going to get a course together on that which i'm looking forward to so lots of stuff happening let's look at some topical let you want to do topical do topical with me what's really funny about topical is i've resisted doing topical podcasts and content for so so long i probably quote unquote paid a price for it i was just i was into seo i was into evergreen and i, and I find being involved in the topical world it can be a bit overwhelming 
right? Because there's always news, you've always got to have opinions on, on certain things. And so with our Friday newsletter for Friday's sake, we grab a meme from the internet, we try to credit, we, we'll, we will credit it, it's me doing it right now. We'll grab, you know, con slightly controversial hot take on Twitter or LinkedIn and include that and then we'll look at a, a few campaigns. So there's been some cool work coming out lately actually uh, there's an agency i hadn't heard of you by the way but there's an agency called ludwig plus and they just launched this really cool campaign for dodge it, i don't know like I, so first of all i really like this style of campaign and then i was down in florida recently and there were a lot of trucks where i was in tampa it, it was um let me just say there are different versions of white and sometimes when i travel around the u.s i realize that i'm not the same white as the people in the cafe or the bar or the restaurant that I enter because there's a vibe. There's a bit of a vibe. And it happened again. Every time I travel outside of New York, a middle-aged or older man wants to talk to me about Trump. You know, I look a little bit, I guess I don't look like them and they realize I'm from somewhere else. They get confused by the Aussie accent. And then as, as soon as we settle into a conversation, if we're chatting or if I'm, in, if I'm trapped in a cab or an Uber, people just want to mutter them. They just like start muttering the name. I can feel it. It boil. It boils in them. I'm like, you're from New York. What do you think about Trump? What do you think about Hillary? I'm like, why? Why do I have to do this? I don't want to do this. Sorry. Stop. So my point really is with this Dodge campaign. Maybe it's a little cute. I do think the guy who's in the Dodge at the end is a little, uh, a little well dressed for the. <laughs> for the campaign it was a little bit surprising but it's a cool campaign so what they've done it's called not for guinea pigs and what they're trying to do is sell this new dodge electric vehicle by comparing other electric vehicles to experiments such as a sandwich stapler so in the ad you see this stapler called sandwich stapler that's the words on the stapler and what does it do it allows you to staple bread together Another experiment in this ad is a robot ottoman. An ottoman, you know, one of those things you put your feet up on and it chases you around. Well, in this ad, the ottoman that you can put your feet on or sit on chases someone around the room, like one of those robot cleaning things. And then also an inflatable mansion, which actually is pretty cool. It's really well done, so congratulations. I hope it sells you some electric vehicles. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the campaign personally i'm curious to see if, if it connects with a more conservative base because it did feel a bit light-hearted and the guy at the end who was in the car felt a little less like the people i would have seen in tampa so curious there's also this really weird iceland air so one word iceland air it's an airline brand there's a weird ad where they're like looking for an american i think who's who's they can't find where the person is and Iceland makes really, I want to go there, I've not been there yet. They make really cool ads for the country and for a lot of things, very creative people, but it's such a low energy ad <laughs> where they just show these scenes of not much happening and then they find the guy and he's like looking at a mountain or something and then he leaves and that's the ad. And it's like, what? what's going on right there? Couldn't really get it. Didn't really get it. Didn't really get it. I hope it's successful for you, Iceland. I know the, the main challenge that Iceland has is very similar to Singapore, where often there's they're set up to be not a destination, but a stopover. And so what the tourism boards or companies try to do is to encourage people to spend that extra night, two nights, three nights, and that can that, that those additional nights can really make a big contribution to the economy. KFC Spain, what are you doing? They basically dropped this chicken porno ad. It's, there's a lot of mouth stuff, a lot of face stuff, and it's essentially people. Uh, I did what word? There were a bunch of words that were about to come out of my mouth because I was going to make some Freudian slips. I know Freud got cancelled, right? Or he would have. I'm joking. Uh, but yeah, it's basically 10 ish people eating burgers, zingers, various KFC items. And uh, it looks like they're all having le petit mort. That's French, by the way. Kind of translates to orgasms. Uh, very unusual, very interesting. Boston agency Hey Let's Go made this campaign for the Lawn Doctor in which they created slippers with real gla glass grass, with real grass in the slippers. 
And what they're trying to do is, is uh, this happens around this time of year in the US especially, is they try to get people excited about spring, which is when you take care of your lawn. And the lawn doctor obviously helps people take care of their lawn. So a few interesting campaigns there. I really like that lawn doctor campaign. It, I don't know, I, I get nostalgic about things like that and it, that kind of campaign takes me back to stuff I saw from you know companies like Droga 5 and Clemager BBDO in Australia years and years and years ago where you'd make some weird product like I love the magic salad plate which is this plate with a plastic salad built onto it and then you can put a meat pie classic Australian food you can put a meat pie on it so that no one shames you for being unhealthy because it's like oh he's eating salad as well or she or they uh, so this lawn doctor fits in that that genre of advertising that I quite like, where there's a weird object that's made and it's part of the part of the communication. I, I don't know if they actually made these slippers and sold them, but it features in, in at least one of the ads slash videos. Also, in for Friday's sake, what we look at is some research. We we dig up recent research. There's some research by well led by Associate Professor Taku Togawa from Sophia. S-O-P-H-I-A, unlike Sophia in Bulgaria, where I'm going to go do Bulgarian split squats soon. But uh, Associate Professor Togawa from Sophia University in Japan, he, he led a team to investigate how coldness in ads makes people feel. And the way that I would summarize this research is that coldness, imagine a watch, a nice watch or a, a bottle of, I don't know, cold alcohol or a car. And it's set around ice or snow. Apparently, psychologically, this coldness, it makes us feel distant from an object. Being distant makes us want to work out what we're seeing. We're like, what's that over there? In various fields, uh, went to a screenwriting course a few years ago and they talked about rubbernecking. Rubbernecking is, you know, you're walking down the street and you see a Tyrannosaurus rex running at you and you turn your neck to see if you're going to survive. So similar dynamic here that coldness makes us feel distant and being distant makes us want to work out what we're seeing and it makes things seem new. So kind of interesting, kind of interesting. There's been some talk about loneliness in the US as well. So apparently loneliness is down in the US, but there's so much research coming out about people right now and it, it seems like, I don't know, is the world just gonna depopulate? What's going on? Younger people don't seem to be having as much sex. Like growing up and for years and years and years, people are having sex like 10 times a week in all the surveys that I've ever seen. And I'm like, who? I made the number up, okay? It's called hyperbole. I'm like, who's, who? Who? <laughs> Who's doing that? By themselves? With, uh, is there another person involved or whatever you're into? Uh, but yeah, it, se it seems like, especially since the pandemic, things are getting difficult, but there are definitely pressures being put on young generations all over the world because they're struggling. They're struggling. The money's stuck up top with older people in many countries, and so people aren't necessarily committing to things like marriage not that you have to things like marriage or having babies South Korea's got a big problem and, and some of these other countries by the way are, are much more monocultural monoracial you know they don't really want a lot of immigrants in them so I think places like Japan and South Korea are depopulating or will so it's kind of interesting uh, but you know like a lot of you loneliness got high am I right oh that's that's just quality comedy like a lot of you, loneliness got high during the pandemic. Uh, the Gallup National Health and Wellbeing Index has recently reported that only 44 million Americans felt quote unquote lonely yesterday. So that's 17% of Americans who, when they did this survey, I think over 5,000 people took it, said they felt lonely yesterday. That's still 44 million people. Good news, it's down from 25%. I mean, oh, that's still a lot of loneliness. And then and various other reports come out. Uh, one of the main things that a lot of psychologists or I think increasingly governments look at is, is answers to this question. And if you had a crisis, do you have someone you can turn to? But also another question is, how many close friends do you have that you could turn to in, in a crisis? So those things get tracked and it just doesn't seem very good right now. So if you're listening to this and you're a little bit lonely and this is your social life for today, hi, thanks for hanging out, but also do what you can to, to 
I don't know, rile up that social life because having a good social life or a decent social life is not a thing that you need to compare to other people, but there are a lot of health benefits and psychology benefits to having a decent social life. And there are a lot of health consequences, poor health consequences, if you are isolated. Okay. In another piece of research, now anything to do with social sciences, get to take with a bit of a grain of salt because every now and then something interesting will come out and then it gets destroyed or so much of this, or, or you take into account so much of this research is actually done with students at universities, therefore how, how descriptive, how like broadly relevant is it? But apparently, check this out, you can use gossip to compete with people over valuable resources in your community. Washington State University researchers have found that positive gossip can affect whether someone will give you something. Positive gossip can improve your reputation, uh, therefore an improved reputation can get you stuff. It's worth thinking about. It's worth thinking about. Uh, as you climb up your ladder at work or whatever you're doing, it is, it is just a good thing, I think, to say nice things about other people when they're not in the room. That is a good thing to do. It's a good behavior. It creates a good... Well, it can, can try to contribute a little bit to creating a positive culture. And uh, you can change someone's career with gossip nicely placed, so keep that in mind. Still going through Friday's email. It's a little bit of a test, you know, for those of you who listen to this podcast a lot. My question is, do you like, do you like a little topicality? We could make this more fun. We could have news segments and sound bites, something that I'm, I'm thinking about. So in news, let's do some news right now. Burger King, King reclaims the flame. So Burger King's interesting because when Fernando Machado was running their marketing, they were doing lots of big stunts and really creative thinking. And some people loved it and some people were like, no, that doesn't work. There was all this negativity around it as well. Honestly, I liked most of it just personally, subjectively, because I know how hard it is to get creative work through. He left, and then what's happened is Burger King has, well, here's, here's their claim to flame. Here's their claim to fame right now. They're selling more Whoppers than ever, according to CNN. And they did a bunch of different things. First, they simplified their menu and operations. If, if you're outside the US, what you might not have experienced unless you visited here is how a lot of fast food restaurants they might have a good flagship situation but then there could be like a store at a bus depot or in an airport or just in the city and you're like oh my god this thing is falling apart I do feel that in some other countries, Australia is pretty tight with this stuff, for example, New Zealand, maybe the UK, that there are higher standards overall, that, that if you want to run one of these stores, you have to maintain it in a certain way and renovate it quite often. But I feel like the standards in the US are a little bit different. Now, they simplified their menu and operations, and then they encouraged a five-week deep clean of the restaurants. That's pretty interesting. And then they launched this campaign called You Rule. Uh, it's it's a little bit back to basics and I, I think from what I read in this article the US president of Burger King Tom Curtis he asked the marketing team to rethink it because it's it feels a bit like lifestyle photos or images not photos but lifestyle videos it's not they shot it but lifestyle videos with a jingle but apparently it caught on fire on TikTok and it's been really effective for them so that's an interesting story I, I think Wendy's was slaying a lot of, from memory, I think Wendy's, McDonald's, they've been slaying a lot, a lot of this category and Burger King had kind of confusion in the menu, a lot of different stuff and maybe some of the advertising for a while was a bit too high concept, you know, with the, the Burger King, with the King himself. So that's interesting. In sad news, the US advertising market or industry has lost 20 100, 2,100 jobs in March. And this is a report from eMarketer. I believe the US has about 500,000 people in advertising. I'm not sure exactly how that's defined. This job loss in March, 2,100, I keep wanting to say 2,100, 2,100. It's the biggest job loss in 
biggest set of job losses. It's the big, biggest number of job losses in advertising in the US since January 2021. And I, I get DMs and emails from people who've been unemployed for a few months now uh, and longer, uh, but and people who've recently lost jobs. And so if, if this is you, you know, we, we, feel, we feel for you. We hope this is cyclical. I know everyone's also scared and maybe excited about AI and the impact of that on, on our kinds of roles. But I don't know. The US is good at coming back. It likes being number one, all right? So if that's any solace, then you're welcome. What else? Final things news-wise. So apparently Twitter's revenues are slumping. I've worked with them I kind of as an adult, grew up a little bit on Twitter. I've been on it since the very early days. I did a stupid thing, 2021. I unfollowed everyone. You know, I, I just, for a year or so, the strategy community was just sorry, a-holes to each other on Twitter. And I was like, I, I don't want to see this. People I was friends with were getting attacked, honestly, for not, not a lot of reason. Uh, I'm not going to go into details, but that's what I felt like. And then I'd see weird things about like white men who do strategy podcasts in my feed. I'm like, well, there's not that many of us and <laughs> I know you and, and what is this? What is this? And so I kind of unfollowed everyone, which I really regret. But anyway, I uh, did work with Twitter. You can hear... A, a very rare interview that I did with Twitter having worked with them. It's a bit of a case study, but they were kind enough, they enjoyed the work we did together, they were kind enough to do, uh, record something with me about it. So if you want to find that, Google it. Google uh, Sweathead and Twitter next. But their revenues are apparently slumping. And I know that Musk is, is trying to create this mega app that incorporates everything. But right now, according to Digital Information World, the revenues are expected to drop by about 27% this year. That's pretty big. On the flip side of that, however, UK ad exports are up. So at South by Southwest, the Advertising Association, TAA, I guess it's British, they announced at South by Southwest that the UK exported 15 billion pounds in advertising and market research services in 2021, up 32.5% from 2020. That's pretty interesting. There's another piece of research that I do often quote on this podcast from the one of the governments, I don't know, I guess it's the UK government, where something like a third, I think it's at least 30%, something like one third of people in London work in the creative industries. And so there is a real center of gravity in the UK with advertising and marketing and product creativity, uh, the intellects all over the streets, at least in London. And uh, it's, it's quite different. I do get asked, I mean, even this week, a few people like, should I try to work in London or England, typically London or the US? Pros and cons, you know, from what I've seen, I think the salaries are lower in the UK. I think the salaries are on average higher in the US, but then the US, you've got, well, you get different healthcare systems and insurance things to worry about versus the NHS. US, I, I believe the US is more bureaucratic. You often have to explain your work and what you do and why you're in the room in a way that I would doubt you would have to do in, in London, not very often. Uh, there's more of a center of gravity with industry bodies and public intellectuals in London. And so if, if you're you know, trying to work out where you should move to or live or whatever, I think it would be interesting. I didn't, I didn't go to London, didn't go, not always sure how I would fit in. I know I'm a white dude, but as an Aussie, it was like, well, how would I really fit in? And, and there's a bit of a posh vibe sometimes in the industry there, which I, I'm a bit allergic to. You know, like if if I was in meetings and someone who was had like an elite accent and went to Oxford started to patronize everyone, I would probably start um, breaking out in hives and then, you know, might run out of the room very quickly. I, I, I couldn't really handle that. And that's a stereotype, but it does exist, hopefully in a small way. Uh, because at the same time, when I go to the UK, and you know, my dad's English, my stepmom's from the old East End, I believe. Dad's from Warrington. Uh, I love the banter in the UK. You know, I catch up with Aussie uh, English friends, and we just, it's immediate banter, swearing, cursing, and uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I feel at home. I feel at home with that. So there you go. There's some topical stuff from for Friday's sake, and you can check that out. Well, check out this. I don't know what we're going to write about this week, but if you want to subscribe, just go to the Sweathead website and you can subscribe. Oh my gosh, there's still so much to go through. So I'm going to quickly go through some work from Natalie Brinkman. Natalie recently took our accelerator and we, you know, there's a whole bunch of really good work in this, but, but Natalie's work, I, it, just was, it was really clear headed in a way that I could immediately talk about in public. 
maybe I should actually get Ali to talk about her own work, but here I am. I wanted to record a podcast because we've got a lot going on this week and uh, I, wanted, I want to talk you through it, okay? So what we get people to do, it's a four-week course. It involves online, about three to four hours of online videos, our premium ones, our elite ones, uh, and then about eight training sessions, eight to nine training sessions that I take. And we give people a selection of briefs to choose from. Natalie chose Shiracha, Shiracha, which I eat all the time. Apparently, I can't pronounce it. Uh, it's a nice, spicy, gently spicy sauce. And the brief was sell Shiracha to people who are nervous about spicy food. So this is by Natalie Brinkman, who works at the Cincinnati's Curiosity. Agent, that's the name of the agency. So we get people to create three, that do a little bit of research and then to create three versions of the four points, that little diagram that I like to use that I've written a book about, uh, and then to write one strategy story. And I'll talk about why, why I like a strategy story. So the first four points for Natalie. Problem, breaking up with blandness is scary. Insight, spicy food lets us flirt with fear. Shiracha advantage. This is where we talk about the company or the brand. Shiracha is the matchmaker of sweet and spice. Strategy statements show that Shiracha is the perfect first date with spice. So that's direction number one. It's talking about how there's some fear in the problem and the insight, and then it talks about being a matchmaker. So I feel like there's probably two themes in that and I encourage people to sit stubbornly on one. So perhaps, Natalie, you would focus more on either matchmaking, romance and dates versus a second one, which would focus more on fear and scary. But your little trick there is in the insight. Spicy food lets us flirt with fear. So there's a theme coming through here. I've seen a lot of templates filled in, a lot of frameworks filled in, and often there's not one theme running through them. So just because you use get to buy or you squeeze some words into the four C's, if there's not a theme running through them, it's not that useful. If you've just got disjointed sentences. So I look for a theme here. We've got fear and being scared as kind of one theme, and then we've got romance, flirting, dates. So t technically two themes, but it works, okay? The second, direction is this problem disliking spicy food feels childish so i guess what that's getting at is at some point as we get older assuming we're selling to adults which i guess we are you might be like oh i don't really like this but then it reminds you of being nagged by a parent insight childish taste buds can grow up okay advantage about the brand shiracha's spices child's play that makes sense you know it's not too hot it's not too aggressive. Strategy show that Shiracha is the key to taste bud adulting. It's cute. It's cute. It's riffing on growing up, childhood, being an adult, riffing on like life stages. Okay, that's the sort of theme in that. That works. That works. Three problem hating spicy food is a badge of weakness so i guess if you don't like spicy food and you're with other people they might tease you a little bit for being soft i don't know is that what happens insight spicy food is strength training for your taste buds advantage shiracha's strength is spice you can build okay that mostly makes sense it's one of those phrases where i'm, I'm happy to take it because it's, it's just short and it's building on the theme and we probably have a conversation it's like, what do, you, what do you mean by that? So Shiracha's strength is spice you can build. Okay, I need to think about like, what does that mean? Strategy, show that Shiracha lets your taste buds put in gains. All right, so there's three, I, I like them, right? Now, for some creative teams, if you're briefing a creative team, this kind of thinking is quote unquote too much of an idea. That's totally valid, it's totally valid. The thing is, you've got to calibrate to each creative team and you might work with multiple creative teams in different ways on different projects. You just got to sit down with them and go, here's, here's where I'm going. Is, is this too much of your work? Because as a strategist or an account planner, you don't want to be doing the creative department's job. That doesn't feel good if you're in the creative department. 
And I, I remember being at an awards ceremony for the account planning group years and years ago in Australia, the APG, and a boss got up on stage and was giving an award to one of his pupils. And it was great, great, good on you. The boss said something like, oh, you write, this guy writes creative briefs where the words, they're basically taglines. And he's being hyperbolic. That's a nice compliment, okay? But if that was literal, like a strategist is sitting down trying to write taglines and slogans and hashtags into a creative brief, uh, don't. Don't. <laughs> like, if anything, I would want a creative brief to be clear-headed but a bit clumsy. Just a, just like 5% clumsy, as long as it's clear-headed. That might be a paradox, I don't know. Uh, but then I want the creative team to come in and go, okay, I can, I can see where you're we're going. I can see where you're going with this. And then I want them to come back with something that is just mind-blowing. Oh, my gosh, you've taken it even more epic, into a more epic space than we could have. Okay, so there are three, four points. When I'm working on a project, I, I would often play with three to five of, of these. It really depends. Sometimes you... Sometimes the research that you do really points you very quickly, very heavily, very quickly, I think, in a particular direction. But I still try to eke out additional strategy directions. You might use the same problem statement three to five times, or you might mix it up. I don't know. It's up to you. You have to make these decisions for yourself. At the end of the day, strategy is an informed opinion about how to win. So you need the information, you need to form opinions. But there's a certain fluidity with all of this, right? Now, I'm gonna read out Natalie's strategy story. Strategy stories are one-page documents, usually about 200 words, they don't have to be, they could be shorter, I wouldn't want them much longer, but I just think they're a nice bridge between the four points, which are literally strategy sketches, and a, the bridge is from that strategy sketch into a creative brief. And what we're trying to solve for there is opening up a creative brief and just mindlessly filling it in and feeling really important and not wanting to change it once you've filled it in because you're offended if someone gives you feedback. So grab one piece of paper, that's it, and turn your four points into an argument. The argument will look and feel like a case study, but obviously case studies happen after the act. Okay, so I'm gonna read you the four points. Well, sorry, I'm gonna read you the strategy story for the first four points that we went through. Subheading, the perfect first date with Spice. Reminder, this is Natalie Brinkman's work, okay? The spicy food haters approach spicy food much like a first date with careful apprehension that is followed by any one of these symptoms, nervous sweats, butterflies in the stomach, violent trepidation, mental paralysis, and plain old fear. And thus begins an unpassionate, unpassionate love affair with boring and bland, but comfortable foods. And who can blame them? Spicy food makes you feel actual pain. Eating spicy food tricks your nervous system into thinking you're overheating, which triggers a bodily response. And much like the lovesick who persist bad date after bad date, there are spice lovers who have taught themselves to find the pleasure in the pain. When their bodies react to spice, they get a rush of endorphins. Yes, the same hormones that are released after good sex. They call this reaction benign masochism, which is science talk. There you go. Science talk, mate, uh, which is science talk for finding pleasure in negative experiences that your brain interprets as threatening. In short, where there is pain, there is also pleasure. Spicy food lets us flirt with fear. This is the reason why people love spicy food and in brackets and many not safe for work things. But this is also the reason why people hate spicy food. So there's two more paragraphs, but she's keeping to the theme, date, romance, etc., masochism. And I, I like it. The language is mostly pretty small. And even when she uses a big phrase like, or a big piece of jargon like benign masochism, she says it's science talk. So she brings it back down again. And she's just playing with words in a way that is gentle. There are little lateral leaps and it's pretty clear headed. You know, we can see where this campaign's going to go. We haven't even written a creative brief yet. Uh, and again, I'll remind you that for some creative teams, maybe we can see where this campaign's going too much and that perhaps one creative team would like the strategist to take a step back and not be so up in their business. Totally fine, calibrate to each other. 
final two paragraphs of this tragedy story. However, one does not give up a chance at love simply because of the possibility of a breakup. Likewise, spicy food haters need not miss out on the pleasure of spicy food because of the pain it can trigger. Over time and with the right partner, you can train your brain to like that kind of stuff. I'm in spice. A little joke, I like it. Sriracha beautifully marries sweetness with spice, creating a match made in heaven. It isn't too spicy, but it is certainly not bland. This makes it the perfect first date to experiment with spice and all the pain and pleasure it brings. And this means that Sriracha doesn't need spicy food haters to leave behind all the comfort of their bland foods. It just needs to convince them that things start slow before they get hot and heavy. Right? I just really like how clear-headed and stubborn this is. Stubborn as in it really just focuses on one theme. This is not a manifesto. You might not use these words anywhere outside of the strategy story, which you might just write for yourself. When I'm working with brands, it's a deliverable. I will write three, five, seven of them. It's a key deliverable. But you might just write it for yourself because you believe that writing will help you think better. So, shout outs to Natalie for that. If you want to join the next accelerator, we're doing one in October. It's fun. Uh, I'll talk about Get To Buy as well. I think I've talked about this quite a few times on the pod, but there might be some new people listening. So, Get To Buy is a very common framework. There are variations of it. Get, who, to, buy, unless, slash, accept, etc. right? But Get To Buy is essentially an attempt at a three- sentence brief i believe bbdo originated it about 20 about 20 years ago so the thing and i see people post this stuff online a little bit and look our work's not easy but also i see a lot of frameworks filled in and then there's this sort of arrogance that people will share them with i'm sorry if that's me by the way maybe i do that i don't i, do, I usually just share stuff i'm like here's what I'm, here's what i'm thinking not like i've nailed it it's usually for giggles uh, but often people fill these things in and even some of the frameworks I see from you know some of the online MBA courses positioning things I'm like yeah but that, that's language that nobody uses outside of a business room what are you actually saying so I'm going to talk to you very quickly about get to bikes I know a lot of you use it so it's popular but it's often used without critical thinking and so it doesn't matter what framework you use if you don't do research if you can't think critically and creatively you're just going to fill it in with Dribble, dribble. And even if you've done this job for 10, 20 years, maybe 80% of your work or higher is dribble. And, and there's a few things that come through. One of the main issues we get to buy is that many of them are circular. Now, I've talked about this stuff for years and years and years. When I post this stuff online now, people are like, oh, that's what somebody else said recently. I don't know. Cool, that's cool. Okay, I've literally been writing about this. It's in my book. Like, we're talking about this, and there's so many other people who've also been doing this. So when I share this stuff, it's not like here's I'm the best at this stuff. Like debating and criticizing this. It's, I'm just trying to put a point of view out there. If you've written about it before, congratulations. If you know someone who's written about it, it's always in England, by the way. It's always the English. It's always English man. Oh, X wrote about this. You're like, cool cool i did not just spend an hour reading all their stuff and decide to plagiarize them if that's what you're trying to say so many get to buy frameworks oh just dealing with my baggage friends many get to buy frameworks are circular so get the audience you could give them a name fancy name to buy a product by by telling them to buy a product circular right get them to buy the thing by telling them to buy the thing that's how most get to buys that I've seen read like what some of them are a shopping list this is also very common get the audience give them a name and maybe you say what obstacle or barrier or problem that they're facing and you put that after the word who get the audience who feels that Iceland has nothing there for them right that's the barrier get the audience to buy X by BY making five videos sending an email and going viral just a shopping list of deliverables and then uh, an outcome there okay that's also really really common i see these two things the majority of the time like it, I, I actually find it very rare to see a get to buy that's done the way that i thought they were supposed to be done so what you're trying to do is get and you describe the audience there and like i said you could put the word who and then add the problem or barrier after that the obstacle that's getting in the, the way of them doing something, buying something. So why isn't someone eating shiracha? Why isn't someone going to Iceland? 
get the audience. Two, there you usually, I would want to insert the action or the perceptual shift that you want to inspire there. So yeah, maybe it is to buy X or to reconsider blah, blah. The final sentence that follows the word buy, be wise, you tend to insert an organizing theme there and not a shopping list of deliverables or hopeful outcomes or you know just by telling them to buy something and so even let me see i'll just bring up natalie's work so what we might do with her four points so the four points that she wrote about the strategy statement is show that shiracha is the perfect first date with spice so you could use language like that in the buy there you know get uh, i'm going to make this up on the fly it might come out weird get people who you know scared who don't want to flirt with spice get people who don't want to flirt with spice because they're scared of it to try shiracha for the first time by showing them that shiracha is a good first date with spice a little simplistic I, I found that was a bit repetitive there i might tweak it but the principles hold okay so if you're playing with get to buy what you need to do is make sure you include some kind of psychology a barrier a need or a pain point that's collectively felt and then at least one lateral thought, usually an organizing idea in the buy statement, something the creative team can use. Because other, otherwise you're not really doing strategy. <laughs> you know, if you're like, get, get people to go to Iceland by making five videos and a brochure. Well, that's not strategy, that's a shopping list. So think about that next time you work on one I'll, I'll give you a version of the New York Knicks uh, a lot of you know that I use the New York Knicks a little bit they're doing well this year aren't they aren't they in some kind of playoff situation so in the hypothetical example where I, I suggest jokingly that we could try to sell New York Knicks tickets season tickets by showing people that they can go to a game and it's like anger therapy just get your anger out that's what we're here for it's barely about basketball anymore because they haven't one or done well for a long time and various other reasons so get new york nick fans get new york knicks fans who are angry at the team bit of psychology there are you deep thinker you to reconsider buying season tickets bit of marketing language by showing them how coming to games is great anger management great is a weak word but the basketball mix with anger management there's a lateral thought there so get new york knicks fans who are angry at the team to reconsider buying season tickets by showing them how coming to games is great anger management i could brief a team i with that you know as long as they can connect with the anger theme in that all right so your checklist is psychology lateral thought and some kind of thread or theme therefore useful to creative teams and your next campaign idea could be release your new york beast we get new yorkers to name their inner beasts then bring them to basketball games like the video game rampage and help them blow off steam it's a it's a baby idea it's a baby idea all right now the final thing that i want to talk about is some of the tensions that we're coming across out there in the world uh, of strategy and strategists right now i'll do this pretty quickly we've been running some surveys and we're running another survey a couple of surveys right now actually that we'll talk about soon uh, looking at what strategists want more of from their companies and also where they want to work like literally the best places for strategists to work right now according to strategists now I can't remember if I've actually gone through this this material before because over the past month I've had a weird time of it I, I was doing a lot of heavy weights in the gym and that was taxing my central nervous system and last year I started to wear reading glasses for the first time and the combination of these things is a little bit tired and then sometimes I'm wearing glass I'm like, am I dizzy right now I stand up I'm like no you've got your reading glasses on and what's going on so I get a little bit confused and then I got a cold someone sneezed on a treadmill and then the next day I blame that person the next day I had a cold and then a week later I went to Mexico City and got a really bad stomach bug and so I've been a little bit upside down the past month um, so can't remember if I've gone through this or not but here's the deal strategists are like insights so tense right now and here's why so what what I'm hearing and uh, I am always a little bit nervous that I project that I'm coming across research and 
trying to extract meaning from a lot of the DMs and emails and the company training I do and talking to leaders about what's going on. And then I'm like, yeah, here's what I think anyway. Therefore, I'm going to use you as proof. Number one, there's definitely tension between structure and chaos. So a lot of strategists, they say, and I've seen this in a few of the surveys that we've done, they want more structure, but a lot of them are creatures of chaos. Right, so how many internet browser tabs do you have open right now? Do you feel bouncy? Do you bounce between topics a lot? I'm not saying you've got ADD or ADHD, but a lot of us bounce around a little bit. And then all of a sudden, here's my single-minded proposition. And here's my very focused one-page document. So that's part of how we are, right? And, and I think sometimes we, we aren't sure if that's okay. Because, I don't know, that chaos for some of us can bring with it a bit of turbulence you know it's hard to turn off or there's always more to think about more to think through or you're competitive i could think better i just need more time but eventually that chaos will resolve into like a single minor proposition or a creative brief or like a 10 slide presentation if you're lucky two another tension you need time to think alone but you want friends and we, we did see this a lot in the we did this survey called what was it called the sweathead strategist feelings check-in report or something a couple of years ago so a lot of strategists they fear time not spent thinking will slow down their careers you know there's this belief whether it's conscious or subconscious as in conscious as in acknowledged that we've got to keep thinking the faster i think the more i can get done the bigger my career the more i can progress and and so slowing down can hurt us a little bit but in in that thinking frenzy which can last years or maybe a lifetime it can force us to be a bit more isolated than we want and so a lot of strategists who are like that this is not everyone that's why i'm saying general phrases like a lot of or many or often tend but a lot of strategists who are like that they they want to be part of a team but they also need some time by themselves so if you if you manage strategists you've got to acknowledge that you can't force the strategist to be running workshops all the time to be thinking in public all the time like everybody they need time away just to digest to make sense of the world to let the subconscious do its thing another tension number three is you have one mood then another mood then another this is really called neuroticism i don't, I don't know what the percentage is of strategists who would be high in neuroticism which is one of the big five personality traits ocean o-c-e-a-n and neuroticism being prone to dark emotion i had this i was going to write about it and then i don't know i've got this metaphor in mind for neuroticism because i think about like i drag around with me a lot of that a lot of the sort of dark emotions it's just always there and i'm back in therapy i've been back in therapy for about four or five months now and I'm just trying to process some stuff and you know one of the questions is being a bit i've got a bouncy brain and i'm, I'm prone to a little bit of melancholy but then i, I try to be optimistic i'm also really optimistic and hopeful especially when it comes to creativity and, and the work that i do you know the stuff we're doing with sweat out i feel great about it it's a privilege it's amazing uh it's just it blows me away uh about to get the second print run of a book that i wrote that we published in the pandemic like there are these little things i'm like that's crazy like that's amazing it's amazing so i feel very uh, i know that's like humble braggy but i'm saying that because my regular state is probably on the it's not that it's the opposite of that okay it's not depressed but i've dealt with a lot of depression over the years and this image came to me the other day when i was talking about the sort of turbulence this drag that these feelings how they come to life for me now i'm going to share this with you i might put it on instagram soonish it, it feels a bit dark necessarily but this image came to mind it's like you know when you're dragging around these feelings these emotions it can feel like to me at least that you're walking along a balance beam you know a beam that's in gymnastics but like for your whole life you're just like walking along this balance beam and you're walking into a strong headwind but you're dragging a parachute of crap behind you. So imagine that. You're on a balance beam and it just it's infinite. It goes until you don't go. And there are these strong headwinds and you're just dragging this parachute of crap behind you. And the headwind's trying to do two things. It's trying to knock you off balance, but it's also trying to push that parachute into the air above you to drop crap on you. That was, I don't know where that came from, uh, but the more that I've written and the more that I've explored 
books research on psychology, the more that I allow myself to play with this sort of unleashing of the subconscious, but that was an image that came to mind when I was thinking about what it's like to be prone to dark emotions. And I mock myself about it. I call myself a sad boy every now and then. Look, when we work together, you won't, you won't know, you won't know. But it's always there. It's always there. Not like, and often it's two things at once. It's two things at once. So, I was thinking about this after we did the the training in Mexico City. We did it in a comedy club. It was great. But I often will feel two things at once. Like, oh my god, I'm so excited. I can't believe I'm here. And then immediately, like at the same, simultaneously, there'll be this feeling of, you know, you're not good enough, or you could have done better, or I don't know, sort of the the, the criticism. And and then there's just this happiness and sadness at the same time. I'm sure there's a German word for it, but that, that's that's a big part of my life. And I hope it doesn't turn you off from things that I do. I, I know that a lot of people go through this stuff. And when I was younger, I didn't have the language for it. I didn't have the metaphors for it. I, I thought it was just me. And in thinking it was just me, I punished myself more. I talked worse to myself. Uh, it, was not, it was not good. It was not good. But on the flip side of that, I, I do like this. I do like this metaphor. High beam, parachute of crap walking behind you. Headwind's trying to knock you off. Balance beam, headwind's trying to knock you off. Trying to put the, the blow the parachute up into the edge to drop crap on you. You know, there's a drag. There's a drag when you're dealing with these these kinds of things. All right, but point three there, the tension is like a lot of you. you you're yearning for stability, but you love that rush. And if you've lost a job or you've, you've left the industry, it can take a while to reprogram yourself. There's a gentleman that I've interviewed. His name is Austin Powers. Yes, it's his real name. And he just posted in the, in the Sweated Facebook group last week an update because I interviewed him as he was burning out, getting his exit plan ready. I think he just got his exit plan ready. Big marketing job in Northeast Asia, and I believe he's in Thailand now. And he, he said it took him six months to kind of deprogram himself from the anxiety of looking at notifications and emails, right? So this mood, this need to navigate moods, it's not all of you, it's probably half of you, let's just call it half to be nice to, to, the, to those of us who feel it, it could be more. Uh, but you, there's these weird moods, you know, you yearn for stability, but you love that rush and then you burn out. You know, and so you you know you're playing a game. Another tension is you want to grow, not stagnate. So just on a personal level, you want to grow, not stagnate. But the tension is like your companies aren't always as change hungry as you are. They're not always necessarily built to get the best out of you. So you've got to work out what game's being played. And one of the challenges with this is a lot of leaders they will use a strategist idealism. We can be cynical and idealistic at the same time. But a lot of strategy, a lot of leaders, sorry, can use idealism on strategist you know to appeal to appeal to them to work there to stay there this next project is going to be great the client said this or they love you thinking and you know they want more of it like yeah yeah yeah, cool 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 uh but then right now especially with the economy being a bit uncertain maybe you just have to stagnate for a little bit not push as much to feel sane because perhaps a bit of stability or being a bit the same is better than disaster Another one is like you want to grow yourself, but you also want to grow others. So in the research that we did, many of you were trying to work out how to mentor younger strategists, people you work with, people you don't work with. But you know you also need to protect your time and energy for your own growth. Sixth tension is you want to get ahead, but you want to help others, kind of connected. So this is a feeling that you know you need you need your bosses to know your contributions and. You know, I, I don't know. I, I see this as more of a team sport in many places, but yeah, I mean, US, you do have to manage your optics. I think in London, it's pretty competitive like that too. You need to be known for your contributions. It's probably less than the US, maybe, maybe, right? But there's this tension with a lot of people as they as they go up the strategy ladder that they they want to keep going up. They want to get ahead, but you also want to want to help others. There's just well, you need credit as well. I think it's the final. Oh, we've got eight. Okay, so seven is you want to say yes, but no, you need to say no to. So yes is powerful. Yes is, if you look at the big five personality traits, O-C-E-A-N and neuroticism, A is agreeableness. People who say yes a lot are probably high in agreeableness. People pleasers. 
And, you know, there are different little cliches out there, little sayings about, you know, never say no and always say yes and all this sort of stuff. And yes is powerful. It gets you opportunities like a career-changing pitch or project, but no helps you manage boundaries. And it's not that you have to say the word no, although it can be pretty powerful to say no. But over time in this career, you need to work out what your boundaries are and then how to say no to them. And it could be, you know what, I've, I've pitched 10 weekends in a row on five different pitches and we didn't win any of them. And all that's happened is I feel like I'm self-destructing. And then you're like, well, what are my boundaries going to be in the future? And how do I communicate them? And how do I enforce them in a way that doesn't feel like I'm being unnecessarily difficult? Or should I be difficult? And do I pay the consequences for that if someone's like you're too difficult I don't know but these are things that you've got to navigate as you grow, go through the career eight eighth tension you want to ex- you want to express more but also want to support other people's expression so I think there's power like the as soon as you get just a couple of years into the career or just from day one okay but definitely as you get a couple two three four years into the career you got to work out how to create space as a strategist for other people's voices whether they're senior or junior it's so powerful if you're in a meeting and saying oh you know x we had a good conversation about this why don't you share your thoughts little things like that it's it's a beautiful thing to do even if you're fighting for your own validation and you're trying to manage how people see you right so there's some of the tensions that uh we've been seeing out there in our in our surveys we've got another survey that we'll be publishing soon including as i mentioned the best places to work so that was a pretty hectic episode that was four episodes in in one i do hope that you can uh, check us check all the stuff that we're doing out online as well as in bulgaria ecuador peru bunch of other places uh, probably in san francisco possibly toronto a few other places so if, you, if your company needs training you want to do an event there let me know just dm me on instagram and uh check us out on sweat uh, on instagram at sweathead we're nearly at 1.5 million listens i think we've had 80 ratings I, that proportion seems way off friends feel free to drop a review or at least just you know share an episode or something with somebody and uh you know, if you haven't subscribed to the email newsletters, please do. They're a bit of fun. They're a bit of fun. So I hope you're doing okay out there. It's a bit of a weird, weird season, but hopefully it's cyclical and uh, we all rebound well. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sweathead. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. Subscribe to our newsletter. Find us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Sweathead. And if you're interested in finding out about our strategy, memberships, company training, or books, visit sweathead.com. Whoop, whoop.